Actively managing your personal brand is critical if you want to make a significant impact in the areas of your life important to you. I'm Gary Brown, the personal brand catalyst. I've spent most of my life working in the world of branding products. More recently, I've been exploring the world of personal branding and wrote a book on this, Brand New, Brand You. And the podcast has come out of this as a way to share first-hand experiences from some of Australia's most recognised personal brands. For over 30 years, Dr. Charlie T.O.A.M. has been instrumental in the development, dissemination and acceptance of the concept of keyhole minimally invasive techniques in neurosurgery. Dr. Teo runs a fellowship program that attracts over 600 applicants yearly and has trained many of the world's leading figures in neurosurgery. He has trained neurosurgeons at distinguished centres such as the Barrow Neurological Institute, John Hopkins, Yale, Duke, Stanford, Vanderbilt and Harvard universities. He has published over 160 peer-reviewed journal articles, has authored two books on keyhole approaches to brain tumours, and has featured as a guest editor for several journals. He is the Australian representative on the tumour section of the American Association of Neurological Surgeons and the Congress of Neurological Surgeons. Dr. Teo strongly believes that a surgeon's responsibility to his patients shouldn't end after surgery. In keeping with his desire to find cures for recurrent brain tumours, he has raised over $40 million that has been used to fund research scientists both in Australia and internationally. Welcome, Charlie. We are honoured and privileged to have you with us today, and thank you for joining us. Great pleasure, Gary. This session is very much about branding, and Charlie, I think the the brand that I see of the Dr. Charlie Teo is so prominent and strong. I'd like to know from your perspective how you see yourself. Do you see yourself as a brand? No, I never deliberately thought of myself as developing a brand. I don't see my reputation now as being a reputation of a brand. I see it as a reputation of a person, a single solitary person. In terms of have I developed a brand and can that term be aptly applied to Charlie Teo, the name, I do understand this. Yes, it could be. But no, it was never my intention and I never really actually thought about it as a brand. So how do you think people perceive you then? Well, well, now, now that you've again uh, made me think about it, you're right, because despite all the negative media in the last two or three years about me, no matter where I go, people will still come up and, and voice their strong, passionate support of me, Charlie Teo. Have they done that because they see Charlie Teo as a neurosurgeon, as a father of four children, as a voice for voiceless animals? No, you're right. It's, I think they see me as a whole, as an entity. And that's just another name for a brand, I guess. So yes, I, I think that I have uh, turned into a brand, I guess. And I think people see uh, that that brand is something that's worth uh, congratulating me over and something that's worth supporting. Yeah. So let me take a slight diversion and ask you the question that when you're going through the process of establishing um, 
the Charlie Teo Foundation. Yes. Why did you consider using your name as opposed to using some other descriptor for the foundation? Oh, that's a very simple question. The previous foundation was called the Cure Brain Cancer Foundation. I specifically and deliberately requested that it not have anything to do with Charlie Teo because I didn't want a charity to die when I died. And I felt the two could happen simultaneously. Mm. Secondly, I know that I polarized people and I didn't want to, I didn't want the, the charity to polarize the community. So I specifically said I didn't want my name to be associated with any of my charities, Cure, Life, Cure for Life or Cure Brain Cancer Foundation. Here's the trouble. The trouble was that Cure Brain Can- Cancer Foundation became the peak body uh, for raising money for brain cancer research. And they were not going to disband when I left. Well, I didn't leave. They asked me to leave. Yep. And so a lot of people who would have disagreed with what was happening at the Cure Brain Cancer Foundation, I know wanted to, would have supported me rather than that institution. Mm-hmm. And so I had to come up with the name of a foundation that would then make sure that people knew that I was no longer associated with the Cure Brain Cancer Foundation. Gotcha. So it was purely for that reason. Now, I know you would like to think that maybe I got advice of people like Gary Brown uh, or others saying that, you know, Charlie, you've developed a brand, you should use that brand to attract support. But no, it absolutely had nothing to do with me thinking that I had a reputation or a brand that could uh, engender support. But that's what's happened. It's exactly what happened, yes. Until 15 minutes ago when you discussed it with me, no, I hadn't thought about it. And not only had I not thought about it, but I also thought that it was a bit egocentric and egotistical to consider oneself a brand. But I like what you've said now. And so if you've said to me, and this is what I think you have said to me, people who think or strive to define themselves by their vocation, by their look, by their celebrity status, by their wealth, they're going to fall flat on their face once they lose their wealth or their celebrity status or their vocation. It's all about developing a brand, i.e. yourself. And so I understand it now. And uh, But I will say this still, Gary, I, I never strived to do that. I never, I never identified it as something that was different to actually just being yourself. And even now, I feel uncomfortable saying that there's a Charlie Teo brand. I just, it just it makes me feel like I'm sort of giving myself a little bit more importance than I have. I can relate to exactly what you're saying. I've always wanted people to know me for who I am, not what I do or did. And I think it comes down to the fact that you start off in life without any real expectations of, and, and branding is is probably a sophisticated descriptor today. It is, yeah. And people don't like to think of themselves because you're so humble you don't really think of it from that perspective. But when you started off in your career, yeah. were you cognizant of reputa- your reputation? Is it something that really was important or that was highlighted to you in the very beginning when you started your, your medical career? No, it was paramount. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was much more important than I wanted, whether I was a good neurosurgeon or not in terms of my operative skills or my clinical skills, I wanted people to know that I cared and that was it, that, you know, I was going to try my best. 
I've got my shortcomings, I've got my assets, but uh, I wanted people to know that I was in medicine for the right reasons. Mm. And that is not to become the world's best neurosurgeon. If that happened, great, but that wasn't my intention. It wasn't my intention to become wealthy or, or you know, do more cases than anyone else mm. or the most difficult cases. It was very simple. I was going to treat my patients with respect. I was going to treat them with the same way uh, that I would want someone to treat me if I was a patient, mm-hmm. uh, and that was that was always my uh, raison d'être. It, it was never uh, the end point. I.e., I want to develop a reputation. I want to develop a name. I want to, you know, the, be the busiest or the wealthiest. But who 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 brought this to your attention? That as far as the importance of reputation? Oh, it's all from child. I mean, it's all from childhood. I can tell you now that most of all the moral codes that I live by, incredibly simplistic. And they're all given to me by my mother. Other people, the way you would like them to treat you. Uh, everyone's got something to you, some value to give you. Uh, don't think you're any better than anyone else. All those mantras came from my mum. Mm. She drummed them into me from, and, and she taught by example as well. Your values have all come from your mum or have you captured some of those values on the way? Because as we move through life, we have a great foundation. Yes. um, But we also see that we have to capture other components as we go through our journey. I would like to say that I've matured and become a little bit more sophisticated. But one of my failings, in fact, is that I haven't learnt some ways of becoming more sophisticated and polished. I still very much live by black and white mantras and black and white moral codes. And in in fact, that's what's got me into trouble. I mean, really, when you think about it, what has engendered the, uh, the hatred of my colleagues has been the fact that I haven't towed the party line. I haven't become more sophisticated. I haven't become politically correct. I haven't become diplomatic. Your values are so strong from what we've discussed. Where have they been tested in your your career and your life? It's happening now. I love neurosurgery so much. I'm so good at it that I want to continue, but I can't in Australia. I've had my privileges Mm -hmm. taken off me and I've had too much acrimony and too much uh, vilification. They are letting me back in again if I towed the party line. So several people have approached me in the last few weeks saying, Charlie, we know you're a good surgeon. We know you're incredibly capable. We know that people could benefit from your skills, but you've got to start towing the party line. All those difficult cases that you did in the patient's best interests that put you at a high risk is is the reason why you're at where you are now. You've got to stop doing them. Just do what everyone else does. If a patient comes to you and everyone else says it's inoperable, you've got to call it inoperable, even if you think you can take it out. And that's what's happening to me now. Everyone is telling me I should do that, toe the party line, because at least I can help some people. If I toe the party line and I can start operating again, you know, I'll be able to help some people as opposed to helping no one if I, uh, if I don't toe the party line. They're telling you that you can't take on difficult cases. Yes. Right. But if you said, listen, if there is a difficult case, and I take it on, who's going to be damaged by it? Who in the bureaucracy or those who are trying to control your practice, who are going to be damaged by you taking on a difficult case? Well, the only person who's going to be damaged by me taking on a difficult case is me. Because the question- No, well, they're actually not going to let me. 
they won't let you do it. No, they won't let me do it, yeah. Because they see it as damaging their reputation as opposed to yours. So they think they've got a great brand because on the on the basis that, you know, the medical profession's got this great brand and their reputation would be damaged by you because you are doing things that they don't like. Yes. Not don't like, but they can't do or choose not to. Or they to can't do. control. Yeah, they can't control. They want me to call a tumour inoperable when everyone else calls it inoperable. Even if I can take it out with good results, low risk. If they can't do it and they call it inoperable, they want me to call it inoperable. And what happens if somebody else comes along and decides to do it? They won't. The worst thing that's come out of this is it sends a very clear message to doctors who want to try and yeah, swim against the tide and do something different. And so what, what is the struggle you've got at the moment? with making such a decision. Whether I should become part of the fold. Yes, and of course they are. They are Because at least I can help some people then. Yes, okay. Yeah. I'd have to lose self-respect and I'd have to uh, tell people that they're going to die, who I know I can save, but at least I'd be able to help some people and I'd make a living. I think is a human trait is people look for hope. Yeah, yeah. It's a hard position. I, I don't envy you in that situation. Yeah, yeah. But the envious the envy thing you should think about is this topic because oh, by standing by my moral code, mm. by disregarding politically cor political correctness, you know, professional political correctness, I have developed a brand now that has been incredibly robust. So much so that despite three days of frontline vilification by one of Australia's most reputable journalists, one of Australia's most read newspapers, all over the internet as well, all these negative articles about me, my personality, my yep. character, yep. my recklessness, my this, my that, all lies. Mm. Despite that, every day people come up to me, every day, strangers, mm. taxi drivers will stop their cars to come up to me and say, Charlie, we respect you and we know it's bullshit. And so, you are absolutely right. And if you want to teach young people something about that, then that's the lesson I'd like to teach them. Make decisions based on what is right, the greater good, not what is what might be politically correct, not what might get you a promotion at work necessarily, not what might fill your banks with more money necessarily. Do what is right, and I'm telling you, in the long run, it'll come back to uh, to reward you. Your doctor in practice, your doctor in name, but are you doctor in brand? Great questions, Gary. I, I don't think I am. I don't think I am. No, okay, well, I can just tell you now, when people come up to me, they don't say, oh, my God, you're a great doctor, or we love the work that you do. They always come up and say, we love who you are and what you do. And until now, until you've brought it up, uh, I've always thought, oh well, you know, they're a bit tongue-tied, or you know, they're not. I'm not quite sure what they mean by that. But, but now I think I know what they mean by it. It, it. Whether I was a doctor or not, the fact that I've shown integrity, and I've stood by my beliefs, mm. and I've showed dogged perseverance, mm. and that I haven't cowtailed to the powers of be, I think that's what people most support about me. Uh, n not so much that I'm, you know, a talented or skilled neurosurgeon. No, but it, it, it outcomes are obviously very important. But it's the consistent approach and the consistency that you are seen by others. Your empathy, 
and and your ability to be able to engage with humanity is what we all respect and see. Yeah. And that's what we we actually crave for. We don't actually crave for the fact, yes, you happen to be a great neurosurgeon and you happen to have great talents in other areas, but all of that bucketed up and yeah. basketed brings Charlie as just a great bloke. Oh, <laughs> and that becomes the brand. I wouldn't say a great bloke because half the population would disagree with that. Well, that, that, that's where I, I, I. Have you quantified that? No, I haven't. But I do. So how do you know? Look, all the complaints about me—they weren't just from neurosurgeons; they were from all different doctors, a urologist. Yeah, but were there any from the from the broader community? Oh, okay, okay. You're right. No, the broader community. We're talking about your profession. We're not talking about your brand. You are a brand to not just your work environment, it is the brand that you project to the outside world. Right, right, okay. And okay. if you look at your humanitarian aspects, your family, your friends, yes, your professional aspects, now you've got your business initiatives, do they come up and criticise you in the business environment? Yeah, no. Why not? No. Your values haven't changed. Yes, yeah. Your brand is still there. Yep. You're yeah. using your knowledge and expertise and insights to actually deliver great outcomes for humanity yeah. in a totally different space. Yeah. I think we can get too lopsided on the fact that and and too hung up on the fact that you're receiving bullets from a certain sector of society, but that's not the whole of society. That's yeah. just one aspect. Yeah, no, it is. And you're right, it is it's the minority. It's a, it's a small percentage. But unfortunately it's a very powerful percentage. It's a very vocal percentage. Yes. And they've got behind them a very, very vocal journalist and a very vocal, uh, you know, very uh, widely read newspaper. And how, how much uh, time have you spent getting, mustering the same sort of resources? Yeah. <laughs> no. 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 So they've spent a lot of time lot, and energy to fight something that you don't actually do anything more than yeah. respond to. Yes, yes. We, we've talked really about brand and circumstances and events, etc. There, there are various career highlights, I'm sure, yeah. aspects of your career where people have said certain things to you and the light's gone on that you've actually been in a position potentially where you've had to seek some guidance or be mentored. Have you had mentors on your your journey in life so far? Okay, so as a child, my mum, when I was in boarding school, given that I didn't have a father, I tried to look for father figures. Mm -hmm. If you read the book uh, on my life, it talks about me finding John Wayne as a father figure yeah. at one stage. But uh, apart from John Wayne, there was a, a school prefect called Ewan Cameron who I held in high esteem because he showed kindness to me when it wasn't the, the rigueur at school. You know, you meant to bully the young kids, not to show them kindness. So I used him as a uh, a role model. And then when I started surgery, there were a few uh, doctors who I can identify specifically who were role models and helped me develop the code that I live by now. One of them was Tony Milne, a uh, pediatric surgeon in Brisbane, and he taught me the importance of questioning dogma and not blindly accepting everything that your professor tells you. Uh, Mark Shanahan was a uh, cardiothoracic surgeon at St. Vincent's Hospital in the era of uh, Victor Chang, and he taught me the importance of perseverance and uh, and just sheer tenacity when things seemed to be going mm. from hell to high water. and uh, 
losing control, stay focused, stick with it. And then Ian Johnston was a neurosurgeon who showed me amazing sort of uh, uh, intellect and how important it was to offer your patients not only compassion and and surgical skill, but also the importance of reading the literature and being scientifically up to date. And mm. and so I hold him as a bit of a mentor as well. So yeah, no, you're right. There've been people along the way that have sort of added to my mum's general body of moral codes mm-hmm. uh, and have guided me to you know become the person I am today. Do you mentor anyone in terms of helping them on their careers? Yeah, I'm a frustrated teacher. I've always wanted to be a teacher. I've enjoyed, when I was a black belt in karate, I enjoyed teaching more than actually beating people up. I have won Best Teacher Award both in America and Australia. But unfortunately, again, given the climate in Australia, they haven't wanted me to teach. They No, no Australian neurosurgeon has ever come to learn off me, bar one. And that poor fellow had was sort of almost ostracized because he came and learned off me. So, so I teach other neurosurgeons from around the world. That's the fellowship. So the fellowship is neurosurgeons from all around the world wanting to learn my techniques. And we accept two every year. And I take out all my teaching frustrations on them. So, you know, it's all about, they've become basically part of my family. Mm. I spend more time with my fellow than I do with my own family. You know, it's all about teaching and passing on, passing on the skills to someone else. The last 30 odd years, you've had some great insights, learnings, whether it be from the medical fraternity, whether it be in community, the latest challenges we're dealing with bureaucracy, media, et cetera. Are there any particular insights or learnings you would like to share with the young people or those who are watching this podcast that would encapsulate what you've been able to capture in the last 30 years that would be watch outs and, and teachings and um, insights they could take away from. Oh, yeah. Very simple. Where would you like to start? That which doesn't kill you makes you stronger. <laughs> That's very simple. <laughs> and at the end of the day, you've got to sleep with yourself. You've got to, you've got to have self-respect and uh, you've got to be proud of what you do. So, you know, oh, my God. It is so easy to say what is meant to be said, do what is meant to be done, even though you know it's the wrong thing to do or the wrong thing to say, because there is that immediate reward for doing that. You get promoted, you get the deal, you seal the, you seal the contract, mm-hmm. uh, you tell a lie and you, know, you, you manage to get some extra funding for it or whatever. I'm telling you, just don't, don't get tempted. It, it, it'll come back to bite you. Absolutely. You know, people call it karma. Other people call it, you know, God. Other people call it the universe. Some people call it mother nature. You know, whatever you call it, mm-hmm. we are the sum total of our actions. And, uh, you know, if you uh, start employing those things because you believe that your vocation or your wealth is going to define you more than your actual true characteristics and true, true worth, i.e., you know, being a good person, doing things for the greater good, then you know you're going to be unfortunately very disappointed if you uh, go down that line. It's very difficult. I'm not going to say it's easy. I don't like these people who get up and give these motivational talks and say you can do anything you like and you know do this and do that. I'm, I'm telling you, it is a difficult path to tread. It's a whole lot easier to walk down the well-trodden path, and it's a whole lot easier to swim with the tide. But at the end of the day, I'm going to tell you it's a hard course. 
It's a hard road. You're going to feel alone at times. You're going to feel like it's all too difficult. But uh, at the end of the day, uh, it's going to build your brand. It's going to give you respect from others. And more than anything else, it's going to give you self-respect and uh, you know the ability to live with yourself and be proud of what you've done. Terrific. Charlie, thank you so much. We've actually covered so much ground. I could spend probably another couple of hours chatting to you because oh, I'd love to hear more about the Dalai Lama and uh, some of his uh, insights and learnings, which you've obviously captured yourself. On yeah, I spent four hours with the Dalai Lama. I was very lucky to have had a lunch with him and one-on-one and yeah, it, it uh, uh, you know, little events in your life like that yeah. do help you sort of keep uh, keep on the on the right track because mm. it's so easy to go, you know, to wander Very off. Much so. yeah. Very much so. We've we've gone into some areas that I never expected we would. Really? Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please leave a five star review and subscribe for more episodes. And if you'd like to learn more about developing your personal brand please visit garybrown.com.au to get in touch or grab a copy of Brand New, Brand You.